Well, good morning. I'm Steve Davis, and I'm an elder uh, here at Genesis Church. Um, and I don't normally do this. If you're visiting with us today, our lead pastor, Paul Mumaw, is on vacation with his family. So this week, if you could be praying for the Mumaws and their safety, uh, that'd be great. But it's a privilege for me to be here with you today. Before I get started, I'd like to invite the host team to come forward so that I can invite all of you to continue worship this morning through the giving of an offering. We, we do this every week at Genesis Church, and if you're visiting, I don't want this to feel awkward. We don't keep track of if the bag gets something in it or gets passed on, um, but we give every week out of obedience to God because we believe that when we do that, we're following His plan for our life. Another thing about today, today is Pentecost, and I don't know if you knew that. This water is really good. I don't know if you all had any water or coffee or bagels or donuts, but out in the cafe today, if you didn't hit it on the way in, see if there's anything left on the way out. All donations go into the cafe today. It's being run by the high school youth, and they're going to use those donations to go to their MOVE conference, and it's going to be a really, uh, a really great event. So that's my plug for the cafe. Today is Pentecost. In the Christian church, there are three... I, th- I think they're called mega festivals in some places, but Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. And here's the deal. On this day, a couple thousand years ago, ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, you can read all about this in Acts 2, but ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended upon a group of Christ followers who were gathered together and empowered them to preach the word with a sound like rushing wind and with flames uh, that look like tongues of fire on top of their heads, uh, the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. And what I wanted to mention today is that Jesus, before he ascended, he gave the great commission, which was to go and make disciples of all nations. And he did that, but he didn't just tell us to do something and then not equip us to do it. He gave us the Holy Spirit to, to, to allow us, to empower us to preach the word. And the Holy Spirit with us today is the only reason that we're able as a church to stay relevant, to preach this great story to everybody around us. Um, That's all thanks to the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm preaching on today. Um, So thanks for indulging me in in a few moments there. But this week, we're continuing our series called The Moment of Truth. And we're studying the book of Daniel together. And as a church, when we study a book together, let me uh, make a recommendation. Go ahead and read. During the week, go ahead and read the scriptures that we're going to be talking about. We, we talked about Daniel 1 last week. We're going to talk about chapter 3 this week. Chapter 4 is next week, and I would encourage you to read chapter 4 prior to Sunday. Um, but go ahead and read the whole book. It's a great book. Um, and Steve Wallen is bringing the message next, next week. Don't worry about spoiling the message, right? It'll just add a little bit of pressure to Steve to, to get prepared because we're all going to be ready. And I think that adding pressure to Steve Wallen is just good, clean fun. <laughs> all right, talking about integrity in the book of Daniel. So this is a good time. Where does integrity fit in to all this? In this series, we're talking about integrity as remaining wholly committed to the ways of God without compromise, whole commitment. We're talking about wholehearted pursuit of God's plan for our lives. It doesn't leave any room for compromise. It's whole commitment. It's about moving one direction. And sometimes the direction toward God is in direct conflict with the culture of the day. 
Sometimes that's the case. But that's where I want to go anyway. I want nothing um, but Christ's best for my life. So it's about being whole. Integrity, the word, actually has nothing to do with honesty or truth-telling by definition. Um, It's all about uh, whole cloth. It's about being woven together and no gaps. So the fact is we're all going to face moments of truth where our integrity will be called into question. And we'll have to make a choice. Are we going to be influenced by the world or are we going to do the influencing? Are we going to influence the world? Will we follow the world or will we follow God? It's our desire through this series that as a church we could grow together and learn together how to be people of integrity, strong in resolve, and consistent in seeking first Christ's kingdom. So with that, let's turn to the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter 3, and let's, let's have a quick reminder of where we are. We've got the Babylonians who have conquered the kingdom of Judah. And their king, who has a bit of an anger issue, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And he takes some valuable things uh, back with him to Babylon, gold, stuff from the temple, but also some of the best and brightest young men with him to serve in his palace. And these would include four outstanding youths, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now he changes their names uh, to try to indoctrinate them into Babylonian ways, um, also known as brainwashing. But Daniel's three companions are renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's about these three guys that we're going to talk this morning. So last week was about a life of integrity when no one is watching. But what about when everyone's watching? What about moments of truth in that circumstance? For example, what will we do? What would I do if the TV camera was on? I was live to the whole world. They're all tuned in. The question is, would I be like Lightning McQueen? I don't know if you know Lightning McQueen, but let me set up a video clip for you. Lightning is a famous race car. Just ask him, he'll tell you. He lost a half lap lead in the final stretch of this big race because he, uh, he didn't accept any help from his pit crew. He didn't change tires. His tires blow out. Not good. Lightning is all about lightning. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't want any help. And his decision completely backfired. He messed up. And the following TV interview occurs when we're still waiting for the race results. We don't know who won. He's pretty confident he did, but he doesn't know yet. Check out the side screens. Okay, so Lightning didn't really handle that all that well. He lied. I mean, there was no giving him some sizzle. He has egg on his face, and to make it worse, it turns out he didn't win. He tied. So now they've got to have a whole other race in California. The movie goes on. We'll get more about Lightning um, in a little while. Uh, but before we do, let, let's talk about Daniel. Let me cite my sources, especially in a week when we're talking about integrity. I think this is important. In addition to conversations with Paul about today's subject, um, Dave Stone, who's a pastor in Louisville, I read a message from him on this exact same subject, um, and he influenced me greatly, as well as there's a study that Beth Moore has done on the book of Daniel, and uh, it's a great study, and it's influenced me here too. Finally, I've been influenced uh, by my dad and my mom. Dad wrote a book. It had something to do, uh, a big portion of it had a lot to do with integrity, and those have been my influences as I've prepared this message So let's read. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it out on a plain, the plain of Dura, which people could see for miles around. And we pick it up in verse 4. And it reads this, that then the herald loudly proclaimed, 
This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Pretty dramatic. I mean, the king could pick hundreds of different ways to punish folks, but I think this is where the anger issue comes in. A furnace of fire. I mean, that, again, that's just angry. But that's the Gentile world at this time. Idols are everywhere. And the king gets the idea, I want to set up an idol that's a little bit bigger and a little bit better than all the other idols in the area, and then I want people to worship that. So when the music plays, you get down and worship. But if you're Jewish, you've committed not to bow down before any other idols but God. So it's decision time. It's the moment of truth for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember last week, we talked some about Daniel. And we said that Daniel had resolved not to defile himself long before he got to Babylon. And that's why he didn't eat the food from the king's table that would be sacrificed. He, he stayed true to his commitment. And our, our friends too, these three friends... They too chose not to defile themselves by engaging in idol worship. So they did not bow down to the golden statue. And that's good. But it creates a bit of a problem. Let's see what the king says. Verse 12. His advisors, some people have been spying on them, and his advisors go to the king and say, But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, I'll give you one more chance here. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. This is the moment of truth. The entire palace is watching. Their lives are in danger because of it. It's a tough spot. I've tried to place myself in their shoes. Right This week as I'm thinking about it, um, I realize that by nature, uh, I'm a wiggler. And I it's kind of my job to find wiggle room in things and to exploit it. So I'm thinking there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way that they could kind of bow down but kind of not so that they're not upsetting either the king's rules or the king's rules, right? I mean, they could do both. There's got to be a compromise. For example, I had to tie my shoe, you know? I just I had to tie my shoe. Or uh, calisthenics are good. We all should work out. And when the music plays, I'm just spontaneously reminded that I should do some push-ups, right? Um, spontaneous gardening could be, could be a tact they use. But the fact is, we'll talk about people like me in a little while, but continue with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What they said in verse 16 is this. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve... He's able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. This is where the anger management didn't really work out for Nebuchadnezzar. He gets a little upset. We go on in 19. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now, Dave Stone, I liked his message because he said uh, if he were Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego at this point, he might say, what's that, king? I can't hear you. Move a little closer to the door. (laughs) They didn't do that. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. If you look in your Bibles, the NLT translates it, they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, I've got a fire pit in my backyard, and if I light my, my fire pit, the 500 homes, ne- homes next to me, they all smell like fire. I mean, you can't get smoke out. It's a great story of faith and courage of three men who in their moment of truth had integrity. And they set an example for us. And because they did that, they ended up influencing the most powerful and ruthless king in the known world. I've made some observations this week. And I'm going to share them with you, but I want to make a disclaimer. that This story, when Paul talked about the subject matter for this morning, and and I found out that the topic is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then I got these two Lightning McQueen clips, and I thought, man, all I got to do is get out of the way. This is a great story. There's a reason that we teach this in Sunday school to kids that are really young. I mean, it's just a great story. So I will make some observations, but I encourage you this week, read the story. Spend some time in prayer with it because it's amazing. Observation number one, though. Idol worship is easy to fall into. Babylon's a place, well, it's all about image building. And we talked last week, we talked a little bit in this series already about the fact that the United States today and really the whole world, we've got an awful lot of Babylonian tendencies. The fact is this, this book was written about 2,600 years ago and it's still applicable today. The Bible is so relevant because we're an awful lot like those folks. Image-building temptations, they're all around us, and we can take strength from their response to that temptation. Before what idols do I bow? Well, I've been thinking about this. I mean, with the economy and the way things are going, money is pushed to the forefront of our minds right now, and money can become an idol. And work. You know, if you have a job, it's probably more important than it was, and if you don't have a job, you really want it because the economy's not so great. If I just had that job, if I got that promotion, if I just had that role, if I made that much money, 
you know, then I'd be great. Um, it's really easy to fall into that. And stuff. Now, we've talked about envy before, but the fact is, we worship stuff, especially other people's stuff. And I admit it, I stare at cars and homes. I like them. They're attractive to me. How about unhealthy images? You ever see the image on a magazine cover and think, boy, if I just looked like that, then I would find love or then I would be content. That's what I need, that's what I need to do. And so I'm going to put my effort, my resources, my energy into becoming that. And then just some of the people around me, you know, successful people, people whose opinion I trust and I really respect, I might make efforts to be like that person. In fact, I may want their opinion, want their approval so much that I begin to put faith in that person, and that's the real issue. This is where these idols become a problem, is that the root of the tendency toward idol worship is a lack of faith in God's plan, right, in His blessing. If I don't believe that He is enough, I'll begin to place my faith elsewhere, in money, in my job, in the stuff I have, in the, in the image of a person I want to be, or in the person um, that I respect. I begin to put my energy, resources, and attention into those things, and I place faith there. And when I do that, I'm bowing to those idols. So I pray for me and for us this week that God, through the Holy Spirit, will help us identify where we've been worshiping an idol. Because it doesn't take a, a 90 foot, 9 feet wide, 90 foot high statue of gold um, for us to be tempted to bow down. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow to any of those things. Right? They wouldn't kiss up to a king if it meant their life. They wouldn't bow down to an idol, even if it meant they were going to be ashes in an hour. Observation two is that God was with them. Now, this story tells it better than I can, so I'm not going to expound very much. Just refer back to the text. The fact is that there were four men walking around in the furnace. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he wants to be with us too. Move on to observation three. They didn't even smell like smoke. I love that. What I'm taking away this week is that there's not even an appearance of impropriety for them. I think that's the problem with my ideas from earlier. We could tie our shoe and push up and gardening and those things. We could do that. But then uh, we'd look like we were doing what everybody else is doing. There would be people are watching them. People are watching them, and they will think that they're bowing down. The appearance of impropriety would exist. We are looking to people as an example. People are looking to us to be that example. And uh, if we bow down, even if we say in our hearts we're not really bowing, people won't tell the difference. Now, I've failed at this a lot, and I've realized as I've studied this this week how many times I do compromise God's best for my life. And because I fail at that, I'm afraid that I smell like smoke. And it's a hard line to draw. Christ spent a lot of time with people who are not religious, right? I mean, he, he spent his time with people that needed him, and we should do the same thing. And there's this line that I'm not real clear on between spending time with folks and then condoning actions that are not Christ-like. I'll leave that line for another message, but here's the amazing thing about God. He wants to be, a, be with us so badly that he's patient and he's forgiving. Jesus paid the price and he can change your heart. He can change my heart. With the Holy Spirit, he can be like the ultimate Febreze. 
I love Febreze. That's great. Anyway, he's the ultimate Febreze. He can make us not smell like smoke. He can make us clean. He can make us pure. He can make us holy, and he can make us worthy. And we are so not able to do that without him. We can only do it through Christ, our King. Observation four is that they accepted God's will. This is pretty amazing, but they said, even if he doesn't save us, we won't bow down to your idol. If you turn to Matthew 26, verse 39, it reminds me of Jesus in the garden. The night that he was betrayed, the night before he was going to die. It says that he went on, going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as your will. I want your will, God, not mine. And that's what our three heroes say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, hey, God can save us, but if he doesn't, that's okay. This is all about him and his plan, and we won't bow down to your idol. I think this is probably the appropriate spot to clarify something, because while this story is amazing, and it's evidence of God's power, his miraculous power to do anything, that he can still work miracles and save. Um, this story can also be a little troubling because, because all of us know of situations where God could have stepped in and he could have delivered me or my friend from the fire. You might say, you know, I'm a committed Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I try to do all the right things and, and I know I'm not perfect, but I'm committed to living for him. Why didn't he deliver me from the fire when I asked him to? And this is a really tough question. One of the most well-articulated answers that I've read comes from Beth Moore's study of this book. She says that there are three different God responses when we face trials. And the first is that we can be delivered from the fire. In my moment of truth, I'll ask God to deliver me. And he's equally able to do that today, just as he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The medical tests, they came back clear. The accident was survived or avoided. The kids get home safely. And when we're delivered from the fire, our faith in Him is built. But sometimes the, the second God response is that we can be delivered through the fire. I believe that God wastes nothing. And if we have to endure a fire, if we have to go through a hard time, He'll use that situation to, what Beth Moore says, is to refine our faith. The lump is malignant. We still can't get pregnant. She cheated. He left. We're in the fire. Here I think it's important to remember that God is a God of relationship. Now sometimes He's a God of rescue and He'll deliver us from the fire. But everything I read about Him makes me understand that what He really wants is to be with us. If you read the Bible, I mean, the first thing He did, I mean... He, he made a garden so that he could be with us in the garden. And then we messed that up. And so he said, hey, build me a temple. Tell you what, build me a temple, not so that you can worship me there, but so that I can be with you there. He wanted to be with us. And then he sent Christ, God in the form of a man, to come and be with us and then to die for us. And then as we celebrate today, Pentecost, then he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us always. I mean, we, God is a God that wants to be with his people. 
1 Peter 1, 6, 7 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. How about if I read the version you're reading? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that with your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says that your faith is being tested like fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is more, much more valuable than gold. What I take from this is God really wants to be with us. And in the hard times, especially, He wants to be with us. So if we're not delivered from the fire, He'll use that fire to refine and deepen our faith. Now, the third God response to this is that we can be delivered by the fire into His arms. It could be that we enter the fire and end up in His presence in heaven. The cancer battle is lost. The accident takes a life. And as hard as those times are to understand, there is, there's just nothing here on earth that's even comparable to what we're going to experience someday in heaven. So it's not our goal to hang on to this world or to want to stay here any longer than we're supposed to. Philippians 1.21 says that, For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, it says this, the last enemy to be destroyed, and this is by Christ, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So if we are delivered by the fire and into his arms, then our faith is perfected. So whether God decides to deliver me, to deliver you from, through, or, or by the fire, my prayer for myself and for Genesis Church that we'll have the courage and integrity to continue to strive for Christ's best, for God's best, not to settle for the temporary gain that the world offers, but to maintain integrity, to choose to be influencers in the world, not to be influenced by the world. Other people do it this way. Other businesses do it this way. It's okay. It's common. We want to be the ones influencing the world. I, I think that where the church is right, and working with the Holy Spirit. I think where the church is doing that, people will look to the church to know how to act. I think that's possible, and I want to be a part of that kind of church. The last observation is that in their moment of truth, God was glorified. When we're saved from, through, or by the fire, all of the glory belongs to God. And Paul opened this series with the claim that if we do this, if we hold fast and if we are people of integrity, fully committed, we can be the influencers in the world. And this story is evidence of it. Let's, let's look at the end of the story. Daniel 3, 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar still has an anger issue. It's very clear. It's okay. 
The fact is, when we do this right, when we have these moments of truth with everybody watching and we stay committed to God's plan, we can change the world. To close, I mean, if, if you want to know him, if you want to talk more about this, if you smell like smoke like I do, he can forgive you. And it, there's going to be folks up here to talk about things like this. And this could be a moment of truth for you. I, I don't know. May, maybe you've said, sometime I'm going to do that. Sometime I will, but not today. There's too many people looking. We'll be here. God is ready for sure. We'd love to talk to you. Well, let's, let's revisit our friend Lightning, who had, remember last time we saw him, had no clue, no friends, and no hope in anything but his hopeless self. But, like only Disney Pixar can do, he was transformed. So the next time all eyes were on him, and he once again had a choice to make, it's the same choice you and I have. When all eyes are on us, what will we do? Regardless of what we've done in the past, starting today, Will we sacrifice Christ's best for our personal glory? Or will we decide to follow the king? Are we going to influence the world or be influenced by it? I'm not going to lie. I cried the first time I saw that, okay? <laughs> Shelly Anthony, you were crying right then. I saw you. Me and Shelly <laughs> crying. <laughs> you know... The reason that that scene is so powerful is because it's right. It's the right thing to do. It's not natural. It's like Steve said. It's completely countercultural to think about somebody other than ourselves, but it's the right thing to do. I was thinking in first service, and I told him we're going to close our, our service with a song, uh, Not to Us, by Chris Tomlin. And uh, we've been singing this song at Genesis since I got here, so a little over five years. And there's a lot of songs that we sang when I first came on staff here that we don't sing anymore, and there's a lot of new songs that we sing that will run their course too. But this song has stayed in the rotation, uh, not just because it has a cool beat, but uh, because it's truth and because um, it's truth that I need to come back to. And I think you probably do too. Because as humans, it's not natural for us to say, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's not natural. What's natural is to look out for number one and uh, to do what feels right to us. This song is written out of Psalm 115 that says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. It says, because of your love and because of your faithfulness. So we don't sing this now because our circumstance is good or because God has uh, blessed us in some way that, that we feel, uh, have this, you know, warm feeling right now. And so in this moment, we'll give him the glory. No, whatever situation you came in these doors with this morning, you're invited to stand before the God that loves you and the God that is faithful to you, even in the midst of the hard stuff, and to say not to us, but to your name be the glory, Lord.